Good morning. Well, we've done it. We have reached the close of Philippians. And today, we are going to look at 13 verses that if you are here for the first time, I don't want you to feel like you've missed out on something. Although, I, I hope you as a body who've been with us the majority of this time, have you enjoyed the past 14 weeks? For 14 weeks, some of us did. I appreciate that. We've journeyed verse by verse through Philippians, and we're going to really hover in on about four or five verses, but um, uh, to help us understand where we've been and where we will be today, I need to start by saying I, I think it incredibly important to preach to yourself. The scriptures say, preach to thyself, don't listen to thyself. Amen? How many of you have listened to you quite a bit? So today, I want to share with you that there is a mirror for me right on the front row. And today, if for no one else, I am preaching to myself. I'm a master in what we're talking about, but God is wrecking me even as I give this away. Today, our title is Being Content in All Circumstances. No matter what we face, we're finding contentment. Paul is going to say goodbye. It's his send-off to the church at Philippi. And he says goodbye in an incredibly intentional and clarifying way. He's going to share where he is content and what he doesn't want them to misconstrue where he's content, but he wants to thank them for the generosity. This was the poorest church in all of the New Testament uh, start of the New Testament church. The, this was the poorest. And this is a church, I want to bring the map up just for those who don't know or those who need to be reminded. So remember, Philippi is all the way down here in Greece. You can see it up there. And Paul's writing to them nearly, you know, 800 miles away in Rome and Italy. And so Philippi is a church, a church of people who have come to Christ in a Roman city. Philippi wanted to be like Rome. They were really a small Roman city who lived in Roman culture but were landed smack dab in the middle of Macedonia or Greece, Greek culture. And so when he writes to them and says that you are not of this world, that you are here but you are, you're not to be of this world. Like when this thought of being a citizen of heaven at the beginning of this letter really kind of opens the entire letter, they have a physical understanding of what, they're, what he's talking about. They come face to face with this all the time. And so he says, you can't find your contentment in circumstances that are continually changing, specifically when you have an understanding, versatile of the fact that like you step outside the boundary of Philippi and you're in another world. We as believers can identify today that he's called us to be in the world, not of it, that we are citizens of heaven, that even though we leave, we get to gather here and celebrate. We get to worship. We get to practice what it means to be obedient in Christ. When we leave this place, we walk into a world that is largely discontented. Amen? Largely without hope, largely continually struggling, continually skeptical. And we as the people of God are challenged by the word, by Jesus himself, to be content in all things. And Paul highlights that today as we look at these verses. I want to read these 13 verses and we're going to walk through it. I'm going to give you three points today. I'll just tell you what they are and you can unpack them as, as we go. We're going to talk about being satisfied. We're going to talk about being satisfied today. We're going to talk about the secret of said satisfaction, and we're going to talk about sharing today. Those three S's. 
So if you'll stand, um, we'll read the close of Philippians 4 together, starting in verse 10. It says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I am learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and that I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you've sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and our Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you in spirit. Amen. Just before I pray, I want to let you know again, this was the poorest church in the early New Testament times, but yet got a reputation of being the most generous church. And that's why he signs off the way he does. Even those in Caesar's house send their regard. Because they know just how generous you are. You've shared in this by your sacrifice. And let it, let it be known that it didn't go unuseful. Let it be known that I'm grateful, but it paid dividends for the kingdom. Father, today I pray that we would think about our investment. I pray that you would cause us by the power of your spirit to wrestle in mind and heart with where we're investing. I pray that you would cause us to... Um, look into our own lives and God with you start to remove the things that need to be removed as, as you share with us what's truly important. I pray that we would look more like you when we leave this place because we're willing to empty ourselves as Christ emptied himself and so did Paul and those who have gone before us. I pray that we would learn the secrets of contentment in Jesus. And I pray this all in his name. Amen. And be seated. My first point is that we need to be satisfied. And we're going to read a couple verses to unpack this. But I want to I jump it off with this thought. How many of you uh, love Christmas movies? Coming to that time of year, have a couple in the, in the can that just are staples. Got to watch them every year. And one of mine, my favorite actually, is Christmas Vacation. Okay, anyone know that movie? Christmas Vacation is my favorite, and I'll tell you my favorite character is Cousin Eddie. Cousin Eddie is my favorite. Do you know why he's my favorite? Because, thank you, thank you for the dialogue, I appreciate that. The reason he is my favorite is because we all have 
a cousin Eddie, right? Don't we all know a cousin Eddie that we, we have a little annoying, a little aggravating at times, but we, we love cousin Eddie because cousin Eddie is a staple always going to be there, right? And if you're going, I don't know if I have a cousin Eddie, guess what? It better say, guess who? We all have a cousin Eddie that we endure because Eddie is family. And family, while it can be enriching, can be aggravating. Let's call a spade a spade. But there's a larger purpose involved when we get together as family, even with all the things that might go awry and all the drama that may ensue and all the aggravation that may come with it. There's a larger picture involved when we get together as family, right? It's to celebrate. It's to celebrate heritage. It's to celebrate legacy. It's to celebrate with one another and be present. It's to celebrate what has gone before, what is and what will be after, the generations that will wear your last name. You're passing something on. And so while there may be a temporal aggravation, maybe even, maybe even a little bit of fodder to your own dialogue when you leave, there's a reason. You're passing something on. Paul is passing something on in this letter. He says, I am not saying, verse 11, this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. That's aggravating. It's annoying. And I know what it is to have plenty. I was at the top of the mountain. I was the Jew of the Jews. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want. Warren Wearsby said it like this. He said, real contentment must come from within. You and I cannot change the world around us, but we can change and control the world within us. How many know what he's talking about? Here it is. We have to be content despite our circumstances. Circumstances change. Amen? And they are as temporal as this present world that is dying. We are in trouble. If our contentment is tethered to our circumstances rather than to Christ. Let me say that again. We're in a ton of trouble if our circumstances are what we are tethering our lives to. If our contentment is tethered to our circumstances rather than to Christ, then we're in trouble. Here's why. Because your circumstances in a dying and temporal world are much like a 13-year-old going through adolescence. Just a rage of emotion, constantly changing, and oftentimes out of control. How many of you have been 13? How many of you are enduring a 13-year-old? Unable to sometimes even control themselves, acting in a way they don't even understand. If you tether your life to circumstances in a dying and skeptical and selfish world, those, those are going to constantly and chronically change. You're tethering yourself to the wrong thing. In John 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. I want to give you a different picture. Okay? The vine being the life source of those branches. They can't bear fruit apart from that vine. Paul's trying to tell us we must tether our lives to something that is unchanging. 
something that's constant in Jesus. How many of you have ever uh, seen, uh, let me just give you a picture because I don't want you to watch the movie if you haven't. One day, maybe you'll watch The Miracle of Birth, but it's disgusting. So here, <laughs> here it is. I, the picture, though, the picture of what that movie is, like that episode, that documentary is trying to show is this. That a child, new life, is tethered to the mother. Think about the umbilical cord. That all nutrient, all sustenance is coming to said baby through the mother. And once that baby appear, that umbilical cord shows itself. And for an instant... For a moment, you can actually see a life outside of the other one tethered entirely to the mother, the life source. Amen? This is what, this is what Jesus was saying when he was saying, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, there is no life. You have no nutrient, you have no source. You are outside but tether yourself to me, not the world that is changing around you, the one that if you tether to me might have hope. The one who acts like a 13-year-old is prepubescent and, and doesn't even know why it acts the way it does. Don't, don't place your contentment in something that's going to continually change, but rather find your contentment in something that was and is and will always be. Paul is saying here that Christ is all and he is in all. He is my effort. He is my aim. He's my motivation. Though you sent a gift, it's not the gift that I'm excited about. I've learned how to deal when I was it and when I was nothing but an under rower. I have learned to deal. He says to live is Christ and to die is gain. I will one day be with him. If they take my life, which they will, then I'll be present. But in the meantime, I am tethered to him. I am tethered to the vine in such a way that my strength comes from him. I know him and serving him because he is both good and he is competent is enough. I asked this question last week of our crowd at Mount Juliet. I'll ask you this. Where does our worry come from? As, as Paul says, do not worry. Where does our anxiety come from if it does not come from a fundamental question? And that question is, is God either good or is God either competent? Let me ask it a little simpler. Are you better than him or more competent than him? See, we don't worry about things that we can control we worry about everything that we can't. That's actually his. And so in the things that you cannot control, like water's running, what do you do? I want the water off. You just go turn it off. Something pops on the screen, what do you do that you don't want everyone else in your house to see? Turn it off. In control, don't have to worry about that. But what about your life? What about illness? What about your friend's life? What about your family or Cousin Eddie's salvation? Out of your and my control, completely. But do we worry about that? To worry about is to say that, God, you are not competent. I'm more competent. 
to worry about and say that you are not in fact good as the scriptures say, I am better than that. So here's what we have to do. We have to release our worry. We have to release our agenda, Paul says. We have to release entitlement and be good with him and what he decides on any issue. We have to be okay to know him and how good and competent he actually is and simply serve him and enjoy it. It doesn't matter your disputes. doesn't matter how right you were. House is on fire. doesn't matter. Put him aside. Have an eternal perspective. The reason we endure Cousin Eddie is because there's a bigger picture involved. The reason that I can handle whether I have little or a lot is there's a bigger picture involved. And how many of you know it's incredibly difficult to thank God in the moments when you have nothing? But let me ask you, personal challenge, how many of it's a lot harder to thank God when we got everything? We're on the mountaintop. I used to say this, and I think it's important. When you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. When you have stuff, got a lot to worry about, right? I remember when you were a college student or that college age, you had nothing of value. You know, nothing. House catch on fire, I don't care, let it burn. Insurance, right? Don't care. But the more you accumulate and the more people in life that you accumulate you got more to worry about more to care about he goes release all the worry release all the issue release all the entitlement release all of that don't worry about any of it rather tether yourself to the thing that's unchanging focus on the satisfaction and the contentment that is found in Christ alone and in the ability to let others know about him. Like John was saying a moment ago, that you have experienced the light and you've been given opportunity. You shine said light into darkness, the world says. The word tells us that the darkness didn't receive the light. How many of you have seen the world reject Jesus? How many of you have seen him reject the world? Reject love, even genuine I'm going to ask another question. How many have ever stepped out to love like Jesus and got rejected for it? Caused you to second guess doing it again. Paul says, don't worry about any of that. Just think on him and how true and good and competent he is. Be thankful. Trust the fact that he's God, both good and competent. And to continue to live as him, in him, under him. No matter if you're on the mountain or in the valley. Whether you have stuff or have nothing. In all things, take the bigger picture, the larger perspective. Why? There's a secret. And here's the secret. Verse 13. I can do all this. Maybe you've learned it like this. I can do all things through him. Who gives me strength? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's going to hurt my feelings a little bit. This is the, we've, we've come to know this is the Tebow verse. And as a Tebow fan, a Florida fan, I got to tell you, I don't like that we equate this verse to touchdowns. This verse has nothing to do with that. It's not at all what this verse is talking about. What he's talking about is that I am so tethered to him 
that it doesn't, doesn't matter what circumstances come my way because those are constantly changing. Kind of like the Nashville weather. It's constantly in flux. And we don't know how to, how to tell what is coming. He goes, the only certainty that I have is that whether I go into the city or the countryside, chains await me. That's what I have certainty of. And I'd gladly go into chains one more time for one day than a life of being on the mountain being praised because in it, it was empty. I had no satisfaction. It was empty. Harry Ironside said it like this. In the releasing of things, we would worry less if we praised more. Thanksgiving is the enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. You see, this is the beauty of what Paul was saying when he told the Philippians and tells us not to worry, but rather to empty ourselves of that, to like to release that to God and whatever God desires, the thing that's out of your control that you have no control over, but you keep thinking you have control, maybe you keep listening to yourself, preaching to yourself that you actually can change the thing, whatever it is that he is sovereign over, he says, once you release that and you go, you know what? I've had this thing, and I'm giving it to you. And whatever you decide, whatever you want, good with it. I'm good. Maybe you are here and you go, I've done that hundreds of times. I would challenge that you've never actually done it. I would challenge that you've never actually released it. I've given things hundreds of times. Really? Because we find it right here in our lap, wrestling with it again. So guess what? You have one more opportunity to release it again. And he said, when you release it, make sure that you fill your mind and heart with something else. Praise. It's the enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. He said in verses 4, 8 through 9, finally, brothers and sisters, don't just empty your life. He said, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if it's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whether you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. He says, look, you empty your life of all the things that cause you anxiety. And you fill your life with the truth that God is competent and God is good. And Paul borrows this word when he says that I have found the secret. The word secret here, he's borrowing from smaller pagan religions that were all over Europe at this time, springing up all over the world, to which Philippi, specifically where they were located, would have been familiar. The word secret reflects what they deemed for initiation or being initiated. So all these small religions, how many of you uh, did Greek life in college? A couple of us? Secret handshakes, sororities, fraternities, secret handshakes. Okay, he's saying there were a ton of secret initiations in all of these secular religions. Paul says that they had learned the secret and they'd been initiated. Okay, so when you joined one of these many pluralistic religions, there were a lot of initiating secrets that existed. He takes that and he goes, I've learned the secret. And I've been initiated into a life that doesn't change despite my circumstances changing. 
I've learned the secret, and that secret is to tether my life to Jesus, who is unchanging. So despite my circumstantial changes, which are many, I never, I never feel different. I simply find contentment. And you've got to understand, this is a guy, this is a guy who had left everything. Like, smartest guy in this room, if he were here, most revered guy in this room, if he were here, left all the status, all the fortune, all the fame to be someone who would go through what I'm about to read for the sake of knowing Jesus and making him known. It's a dramatic shift in life. What was it about Jesus that made Paul give up a life as Saul of Tarsus where he's revered and he's famous? Peace. What was it about Jesus that changed everything? He chased all the stuff that the world tells us to chase, and he said it was empty. I found nothing. Paul learns because it is not, listen, it is not present at salvation. It doesn't just happen. How many of you have known Jesus for a minute? How many of you also know? You don't have to raise your hand for this one. That you have a tendency to be a little discontented. Just because Jesus came in, it didn't automatically make me content with everything in life. I have learned to be discontent because I was trained by a world. In the same way, it's a learned trait to become content. It's something we must develop. It doesn't just happen. It happens over time and often through incredibly difficult circumstances. This is where Paul's, these were a few of Paul's circumstances. I'll read them again. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one because that was the legal limit. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times shipwrecked left for dead, spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my fellow Jews, danger from Gentiles. I'm in danger in the city. I'm in danger in the country. I'm in danger at sea, and I'm in danger from false believers. I have labored and I've toiled. I've gotten gone without sleep often. I've known hunger. I've known thirst, and I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. Because in my weakness, he is most on display. 2 Corinthians. How many of us struggle to find contentment when things simply aren't great at home or at work? How many of us, if the spouse is upset or the boss is angry, your contentment meter immediately goes into the red? Anyone else here have a tendency to want to please other people? Even when you tell yourself all the time, and people tell you, you can't please everyone. How many of you still secretly want to please everyone? He says, stop worrying about that because here's, there's a harder challenge. Here it is. What about when everyone likes you? 
What about when everything is going well? What about when there is enough money in the bank and there isn't some terminal illness on the wire and everyone is patting you on the back? What, what about when you get the proverbial attaboys repeatedly? Do you still praise him on the mountaintop? Do you thank him on the summit? As much as we turn to him when we're in the shadows. How many of you recognize your own tendency to run to Jesus when crisis hits? How many of us turn to Jesus much faster when the circumstances turn south and everything around us is crisis? Something's happening that I can't control and oh God, save me. Do we turn to him with the same kind of violence, same kind of intention, same kind of hope and disparity when everything is comfortable? Or do those comforts serve as a roadblock for you and I mentally? Do those comforts actually stand in the way of you tethering your life to Jesus because we have a tendency with our right or left hand to kind of grab that comfort and kind of hold on to that as well. Does that make sense? Here I am, just a baby, tethered to mom, umbilical cord right there coming out of my stomach, completely fed by her alone. Center of my life is, is found or ends with her. However, it's kind of comfortable out here. Got a nice blanket. Also got my, my favorite passy. Here comes the bottle. And we start to grab on to things or stuff, stuff and things. Stand to get in the way a little bit. Maybe take our attention a little bit from, from the focus of our life support. And Paul's saying, do not find yourself here. Find yourself satisfied, entirely content, entirely in the life source and keep your eyes focused on him where it's coming from, the unchanging, because everything around you is undoubtedly going to change. Is your personal satisfaction tied to another person, another place, or maybe even your performance? If this is so, then I gotta tell you this is wrong. It's as if Paul has learned true contentment in Jesus by absolute, listen, Absence from temporal comforts. He goes on to encourage them, but he finds true contentment in Jesus is the absence of temporal comforts. Paul's secret to contentment in ever-changing circumstances that he couldn't control was his eternal security in Jesus. Like his love and that he was loved. To live as Christ, to die is gain. There is a tension that exists. Please let me be clear. There's a tension that exists for, for Philippi that is Roman living in a Greek country. There's a, a tension that exists for anyone who is a citizen of heaven but yet walks a temporal and dying earth. One who's called to be selfless yet in a selfish world. And the tension is this, that you actually think more on the eternal investment than you do the short time, the Bible says life is a vapor, that you have here. And the tension is that we would, Paul's trying to remind us here, not anchor our lives to th temporal things, no matter how much greener they are. Say that again. It doesn't matter how greener that pasture looks, it's still dying. 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Look how, how green it is, how pretty it is, how much better it'll be. He goes, do not be deceived. That's still dying. You need to anchor and tether your life to that which is always living, never going to die, is alive now, always has been, and will always be. And it happens forever. It has no end. Satisfaction to be placed in temporal things or places or positions or status are ending. They're not our home. He says, tether your life to the home that he prepared for you and focus your energy there. Because when you die, you'll be free of the sin. You'll be free of the selfishness. And that's where you can be finally and eternally satisfied. So on one hand, while we're here, listen, we're never going to be satisfied entirely. We're not intended to be. Why? Because we have another home. We have another place. We have somewhere we're going. And he says, we get to share in this. And he commends Philippi for sharing in this. Verse 14. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. This was the poorest church, but yet a very generous body. And he thanks them because they send this gift, whether it be financial or physical, through Epaphrodites to give it to Paul, while he cannot work and make a living, while he's on house arrest, tied, writing this letter, he's writing the back saying, thank you so much for sending that. That mattered. But I need to let you know that I, I didn't need it. It's not about the money. It's not about what you sent. It's a fragrant offering. I gladly receive it. That pleases the Lord. But what I want to commend is your heart, the heart that sent it, the mind that thought to send it, the, the willingness to sacrifice even though you have nothing, and we all know that, you pulled all your resource and gave out of nothingness unto me. And that's a heart that shares in the advance of the kingdom, that shares in the gospel, and it's changing the world. That's a heart that isn't afraid of missing out. That's a heart that's afraid of missing what God says next. Hello? How many of you know someone in your life that's got FOMO? Fear of missing out. Have to be everywhere, have to be seen, have to be the next thing. He goes, that's not you to Philippi. You have a heart that says, I want to know what God says, and I want to not miss the very next thing that he says. I want to tether my life to him. I want to rejoice in that, and I want to, I want to be a heart that gives. How many of you have ever noticed how content you become the more you're giving away? How many of you have also noticed your lack of contentment the more you gain? When you have nothing, you've got nothing to lose. So in conclusion, here it is. They shared in the gospel because of sacrificial living. And that pleased their mentor, their, their founding father. Because he, they joined him in that. But he could see their heart was tethered to Jesus like his was. And so they were willing to sacrifice. They were willing to suffer because they had their eyes pointed and their heart and mind set solely on something that was unchanging, tethered to him, not to the circumstances that are continually changing. So he could write to them as a final challenge and as a clarifying statement that he himself was content in Jesus. And that was the secret to 
gurneying through a life like this. So I have a question. Are you sharing in the true secret of satisfaction? As his church, are you and I sharing in the true secret of satisfaction because our lives are tethered to the life source and not the circumstances that are continually changing? Your life and your response in life isn't affected by how people respond to you, the attaboys. You're more concerned about Jesus' smile than anyone else's. Christ alone is contentment. That's easier said than practiced. Amen? But how many of you know, as his church, he expects us to practice that? So we're going to have a chance to. In a moment, we're going to respond to this. But we're going to pray on it for a minute, if it's okay. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask the band to come. Heavenly Father, this morning, your word is truth. And despite how ineffective, out of practice, despite how successful, even, even I am the communicator today at living in this kind of contentedness, despite my circumstances, God, it doesn't change how good and competent and how true you are and your word. And so I come to you preaching to myself, not listening to myself. I need to become more like you in this. And today, this is my response. I pray, God, that, that my brothers and sisters here would join me in said response. That we would not seek to walk out of here ho-hum as usual Maybe even say, oh, that was, that was good. God, it's not about a good message, a good sermon. Here's what it's about. Did we hear the word of God and did we respond? That's all you desire to see. And that will earn your smile. So Jesus, today I pray for my people, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, that we would, you would find us willing by the move of your spirit in our heart and minds right now to just obey and do whatever you ask. Whatever that next step is for us, direct it, lead it. May we be obedient to follow, tethered to you and not even this room right now, not even the circumstances, not even what others might think, just you. In Jesus' name.